Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator of Rain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. Did you know that your body cannot make vitamin C? This is noteworthy because your body needs vitamin C for a number of reasons. It's used throughout the body, not just in the skin, but throughout the body to make collagen. And collagen deficiency due to vitamin C deficiency can actually lead to death from scurvy. So scurvy is something that you probably heard about back in your school years And it was predominant among sailors on long voyages before they realized the importance of taking lemon juice, lime juice, or some other food that contained vitamin C with them on long voyages. So the British Navy instituted a policy for taking lemon juice in 1796. Before that time, It was actually common for up to 50% of sailors to die on long voyages due to scurvy. And other other populations and other cultures throughout the world have identified and recognized the need for having fruits, vegetables, or something containing vitamin C with them on long trips. And even as early as 400 BC, it was documented that Chinese sailors would take ginger with them to prevent scurvy in 400 BC. So in addition to collagen synthesis, vitamin C is also the most abundant antioxidant in human skin. And this is just fascinating considering that we don't make it. So vitamin C is ascorbic acid, like ascorbic acid is the technical name for it. And it has a natural pH of about three and a half. So it's very low. And in addition, ascorbic acid is very reactive, which means it readily oxidizes into a state that cannot be used by the body. It's it's an oxidized state, so it's no longer capable of serving as an antioxidant known as dehydroascorbic acid. So it does this when it reacts with reactive oxygen species. We talked about those in the last episode. So if you take a teaspoon of ascorbic acid, which again is vitamin C, like just pure vitamin C, and you place it in a glass of water and stir it up, it will readily dissolve and it will be a clear colorless solution. If you let it sit on the countertop for a while and come back and look at it a little later, you'll notice that it's turned yellow. And if you let it sit longer, eventually you'll walk by and it'll probably be some kind of gross orange yellow color. That's because the ascorbic acid in that mixture has converted into this dehydroascorbic acid. Plain ascorbic acid is not stable in water and, okay, not stable in water without being stabilized through the formulation itself. And also with a pH of three and a half, it's really quite low. So it's not something that most cosmetic chemists would consider suitable for a formulation. So what's a cosmetic chemist to do? 
if we want to use vitamin C in skincare. Because again, with it being the most abundant antioxidant in skin, it makes perfect sense to use it in skincare. Well, we're going to talk about that in today's episode. Before we dive into that discussion, I wanted to share with you that even though the body can't make vitamin C, it can take that oxidized dehydroasorbic acid and convert it back into vitamin C. So basically like resurrect the vitamin C molecule. And it can do this using an antioxidant that's native to the human body known as glutathione. So it uses that in a chemical reaction to resurrect the vitamin C molecule, the antioxidant asorbic acid from that dehydroasorbic acid. Okay, so now let's get into a little bit more on the formulation piece. Before we launch into talking about what most cosmetic companies turn to, specifically vitamin C derivatives, I wanted to pause because I believe you might have a couple of questions. First off, you may be wondering, well, what about SkinCeuticals? SkinCeuticals makes CE Ferulic, which is now in its third generation, and it is a water-based formula containing ascorbic acid. I'd like to share just a little bit about clinical skincare brands, and SkinCeuticals is a clinical skincare brand. These companies spend millions in product development. That's right, millions. So while it's really hard to find the numbers, and I still haven't found the numbers for what a cosmetic clinical study cost, I know what a pharmaceutical clinical study cost, including a topical pharmaceutical clinical study, which is essentially what SkinCeuticals is doing. They're performing topical clinical studies, and I know what those cost, and they're in the millions for pharmaceuticals. So I'm assuming they're also in the millions for skincare brands. SkinCeuticals also has an army of researchers behind it. And it holds patents around that CE Ferulic formula. CE Ferulic is now in its third generation. It's got a pretty hefty price tag if you've ever been over to the SkinCeutical site. And it's got that hefty t- price tag for good reason. And Ferulic acid to stabilize the vitamin C compound a little bit. And they will tell you that when you get your CE Ferulic, it may be yellow in color and it's okay to continue to use it. So that yellow coloration, again, means that the ascorbic acid has converted, has been oxidized into dehydroascorbic acid. That's a little bit of info around clinical skincare, around why there's such a hefty price tag attached to it. I'll save the second thing that you want to talk about until a little bit later in the episode, because this perfectly segues into what about the rest of cosmetic companies? Well, we're in luck because they're okay. So this is one of the reasons why I opt oftentimes for using ingredients that have been around a while, because there is so much information in the public domain about how these perform. Oftentimes academic papers are published to support like how the ingredient absorbs across the skin and then whether or not it's efficacious in the skin, meaning is it converted back to ascorbic acid? So if it's an ascorbic acid derivative, is it converted into the active form in the skin? The other thing, there's this entire panel, it's called the Cosmetic Ingredient Review. And this review board was established back in 1976. It was actually established by one of the cosmetic industry trade associations. And basically, 
they go in depth. And when I say in depth, I'm talking like 70 to 80 page white papers on a single ingredient about its safety, its efficacy, and across the board. So like in every space from dermatology to they look at, okay, what if it gets into your eyes? What if it's, what if you happen to eat a little bit of it, you know? So it's a comprehensive review of the ingredient itself and of the literature that either they performed and also that they've collated from literature. So anyway, there's a massive amount of information available to cosmetic companies, even outside of that clinical cosmetic space. I just wanted to give you some context for why there's that price tag associated with clinical skincare lines. It's for good reason. All right. So now we're going to jump back over and talk about what are the options aside from ascorbic acid for skincare companies that aren't in that clinical space. So let's jump into that. There are a number of vitamin C derivatives available to the cosmetic chemist. And a few of these are magnesium ascorbyl phosphate, sodium ascorbyl phosphate, and also ascorbyl palmitate. I tend to steer towards the phosphates. So either magnesium ascorbyl phosphate or sodium ascorbyl phosphate. And the reason for that is because the body can readily handle phosphates. And vitamin C is a water-soluble molecule, and both of those phosphate derivatives are also water-soluble, whereas the sorbyl palmitate is actually oil-soluble. And there's been some advanced literature in the past few years that show that the phosphates are likely more efficacious than the ascorbyl palmitate. When it comes to magnesium ascorbyl phosphate and sodium ascorbyl phosphate, I tend to choose magnesium ascorbyl phosphate. And the reason for this is because most of us are deficient in magnesium. So magnesium is a mineral that should be quite common in the soil. It is common in soils with good health. However, it is something that is also commonly deficient in most soils. And for that reason, most of us aren't getting enough magnesium every day. And magnesium is such an amazing mineral because it relaxes muscle. And here I'm talking about smooth muscle. So I'm talking about like, if you're, okay, we're just going to go to the bathroom with the, we're going straight to the toilet with this one. Um, if you're ever constipated, drink a glass of magnesium water. So take some water and just add like Epsom salt or something to it, or just take a bath with Epsom salts. And that will help. Uh, your skin, again, is amazingly capable of absorbing things through it. And so your, your body can absorb the magnesium from an Epsom salts bath. Uh, plus, it just feels really good. You can also take a little bit of Epsom salts and you know, dissolve it in warm water. And then like rub that on your, on your belly in a clockwise motion. Because that follows the normal peristalsis of the intestines. Okay, serious sidetrack. Oh yeah, so that is why I love magnesium ascorbyl phosphate. That's my go-to vitamin C derivative. You can probably tell if you've ever been on Rain Organica's website checking out the ingredients list that magnesium ascorbyl phosphate is one of those ingredients that you find in almost every product on the site. In one case, I do substitute in sodium ascorbyl phosphate instead. That is with the toner and the antioxidant spray. The reason for that is because magnesium kind of tastes weird. And I know you're not supposed to be, I know you're not supposed to be eating your skincare, 
at the same time, like since these two are both a spray, I feel like sometimes I will get both of these products kind of on my lips and then I'm licking my lips and I'm like, oh my goodness, it tastes like it tastes like magnesium. So anyways, for that reason, in the toner and in the antioxidant spray in particular, I use sodium ascorbyl phosphate instead. You may be wondering, well, what about vitamin C in the foods I eat? What about the fact that berries and oranges are a good source of vitamin C? This is an excellent question. While, okay, there are a couple of things here. First of all, the vitamin C content of fresh fruits and veggies does go down upon storage. However, it's not as much as you'd think. So there are a couple of things play, a couple of factors playing into ascorbic acid oxidizing. First of all, is the presence of oxygen. So if we go back to that example I shared, where if you take a teaspoon of ascorbic acid and you place it in a glass of water and you stir it up, you have a clear solution initially. And it's colorless as well. And then if you let it sit on your countertop for a few hours and you come back and look at it, it will have turned yellow. And the longer you let it sit, the more yellow it will get until it probably winds up with some really nasty yellow-orange color. So that is because the ascorbic acid is being oxidized. That glass of water has dissolved oxygen within it. So like when you stirred it, you were introducing dissolve, you were introducing oxygen into it. If you got it from the tap or wherever you got it from, there was a possibility of introducing oxygen into it and having dissolved oxygen molecules. Despite the fact that oxygen is a gas, it can still be dissolved in water. So that's one reason. Second of all, there in that solution, there's nothing beyond the water, the minerals that are in it, and the ascorbic acid. Well, fruits and vegetables are a complex blend, oftentimes, of carbohydrates, various antioxidants, different nutrients, and then also water. So, and not only that, but you think of like an orange, the fruit of the orange is within the peel. So the peel is protecting the fruit itself from oxygen. It's like an oxygen barrier. So yes, there is some gas exchange, I'm sure, across the peel. However, it's not like it's just open to the environment. So there, again, there are a number of factors playing into this. The water content is a large one. Also, the presence of other antioxidants. For instance, there's a study, and you can check this out in the show notes, on raspberries. And they found that like its overall antioxidant activity was, with, was maintained throughout the storage conditions that they studied. Despite the fact that vitamin C content was reduced, some of the other antioxidants actually increased a little bit. So... And I, it's because in the body, it's definitely possible for, again, there's, uh, there's a mechanism by which dehydroasorbic acid is recharged, regenerated to ascorbic acid using glutathione. And glutathione is an antioxidant naturally occurring in the human body. So fruits likely have some sort of mechanism within the fruit itself, within their own cells, where they can recharge vitamin C. And again, this is going to vary from fruit to fruit, vary by composition as well. But there's more information on this in the show notes on like how much there's one study talking about raspberries in particular. And then there's a second study that that actually looks at the vitamin C content of various fruits and vegetables across storage where they stored it for a week. So that I hope goes a little ways into answering that question. Another question you may have is regarding 
your daily multivitamin. Here's the thing. Oftentimes in the solid state, when vitamin C is in its powder form, it takes much, much longer to degrade than it does when it's dissolved in a liquid. And this is true of every molecule. This is one of the reasons why ingredients are freeze-dried, why ingredients are provided in powder form is because they're so much more stable. The potential for reaction diminishes in the absence of water. The molecule itself is more fixed in its form, so it's not it's not as apt to open, not as apt to be attacked by other molecules. This is a long-winded way of saying the vitamin C in your daily multivitamin is fine and should be in its actual ascorbic acid state. Phew, that was a ton of information about vitamin C. So let's just recap quickly. Vitamin C is the most abundant antioxidant in your skin, despite the fact that your own body cannot make it. And vitamin C itself is highly reactive, so it doesn't stay stable as ascorbic acid for very long. And additionally, ascorbic acid itself has a quite a low pH, so a pH of three and a half. This is something else I should have mentioned in that SkinCeuticals segment, and I forgot. So I'll just bring it up here. The pH of the CE Ferulic serum that SkinCeuticals offers is pretty low. As a normal daily leave-on product, I prefer using products that are closer to the P- the natural pH of skin and The acid mantle is about four and a half to five and a half. However, if you get just below that acid mantle layer, the skin's pH starts to go up pretty rapidly in just the first few layers of of the stratum corneum. So with that, I tend to prefer products somewhere in the five and a half to six and a half range on the pH scale just to work better with the body and better with your skin. So today's episode, we talked about vitamin C, how it's the most abundant antioxidant in your skin. And for that reason, it's a great antioxidant to look for in skincare. We talked about some of the more stable forms of vitamin C, specifically magnesium ascorbyl phosphate and sodium ascorbyl phosphate. Talked about how companies have worked around vitamin C's reactivity with that SkinCeuticals example by including additional antioxidants like vitamin E and ferulic acid in the formula. We talked about what happens to vitamin C when it's stored. So either as a multivitamin or even vitamin C that's naturally occurring in fruits and vegetables upon storage. And I think that may be it. So now is time for today's In Tune segment. Today's episode is airing on April 7th, 2021. Here in Southern California, the jasmine is still blooming. Heady, sultry, not quite floral jasmine in its strong, crisp abundance smells like femininity. The wild, untamed, headstrong matriarch, the young, ambitious maiden, jasmine embodies both. In aromatherapy, jasmine is often used for elevating mood and sending depression packing. And while jasmine polyanthem also known as pink jasmine, is the most common variety grown for decorative and fragrance reasons in the U.S., jasminum grandiflorum and jasminum sandbuck are the two most common in the essential oil world. In case you're wondering which jasmine brings that delightful taste to green tea, jasminum officinale 
also known as Common Jasmine, and Jasmine M. Sambuck, both hold that in honor. Jasmine's been called the most masculine floral fragrance, so why do I call Jasmine feminine? Jasmine pairs beautifully with so many essential oils, softening edges and connecting otherwise disjointed pairs, working its alchemy to make things like entryways, green tea, and simple essential oil blends so much more than the sum of their parts. And these beautiful fragrant blossoms flower in abundance, covering the strong, vivacious spine. Does it get more feminine than that? Do you enjoy the smell of jasmine? Are you a devout, jasmine-scented green tea enthusiast? If you're smitten with jasmine, Rain Organica's essential oil blend, Ojai, features jasmine, using the scent to marry the natural fragrance of sweet orange and neroli with lang. And you can find that essential oil blend in Rain Organica's all-natural botanical oil for chapped hands. If you are a jasmine lover, would you share that with me? You can always reach me at info at rainorganica.com and also by DM on Instagram or by leaving a comment on Pinterest at Rain Organica. If you're enjoying the alchemy of things, would you consider sharing with a friend? I'd be ever so grateful if you took a moment to share this podcast. Thank you. If you're enjoying the alchemy of things, would you consider leaving a review? I'd be ever so grateful for you taking the time to do so.